Hello, friends. This is Ryan Stewart, associate producer at Chat with Leaders Media. I wanted to wish you all season's greetings as you are in your time of vision casting and planning for the new year as we are. We wanted to ensure a steady drip of wisdom hitting your feed to encourage and inspire your leadership. We care deeply about supporting your leadership development through the wisdom of our guests and helping purpose-driven leaders like you continue to be a force for good in the world. Today, we are revisiting one of our episodes from the Leadership Vault. Over to you, Jeff. Hey, this is Jeff Bond, and welcome to the Chat with Leaders podcast, where we amplify the voices of servant leaders who use their influence and talent as a force for good. In today's episode, I chat with Vicki Flyer-Hudson. She's the Chief Collaboration Officer of High Road Global Services, a company that exists to take cross-cultural competency and inclusion from checkbox items to a way of doing business. Vicki has a strong track record of results with Fortune 500 companies such as Procter & Gamble, IHG, UPS, The Home Depot, and The Coca-Cola Company. She has lived and worked in several countries, including Belgium, Canada, China, France, Germany, India, Nepal, and Thailand. Vicki's also the author of the book, Zen and the Art of Offshoring, How to Build a Collaborative and Profitable Team with Your Partners in India. In her spare time, Vicky plays electric guitar and sings in an 80s hard rock band and a Rush tribute band. Today, we chat about a very important topic, having dialogue across differences, proving that you can have civil conversations and accomplish goals with people whose views counter your own. I hope you enjoy this chat with Vicky as much as I did. Welcome to Chat with Leaders, Vicki. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Looking forward to unpacking a really important topic for today that I know has been on both of our hearts, and it's how to have dialogue across polarized views. There's no doubt that we live in an incredibly polarized world, and I know that you represent a lot of global diversity initiatives, and so you've seen how different cultures interact, and you've been able to coach on those points with other leaders, and I'm really thrilled to be picking your brain on this topic. So the first question I have for you, Vicki, is can you share a little bit about your story of how you came to realize this passion for global leadership coaching, virtual training, and cross-cultural training? Yeah, so I worked in the corporate world for almost 10 years, my former life, you could say. But during that time, I actually took five leaves of absence, which is a nice way to say that I quit five times. And I went to travel and live around the world. It was just something I felt very compelled to do, to become a more global citizen. And during that time, I took copious notes about my observations of how tourists and locals were interacting with each other, and including myself. I didn't leave myself out of that equation. And I also wrote a lot about the cultures themselves and sort of my perceptions of them. And I saw a lot of ways in which understanding really could have been fostered more. And again, including in my own interactions with people from other cultures. So after doing this for you know nine years and living and even working in other parts of the world during these leaves of absence, on one of those trips, I think it was in Nepal, there was like rainstorm just hailing down on the town I was living in. And so I was sitting inside with a journal and I just had this idea, like, what if I could take my business experience that I already had and all of these observations and kind of meld them together in some way and, and make a job out of it? And that was, I think, in 2000. 
And in 2004, I made that dream a reality and I created High Road Global Services and it's been just an amazing journey ever since. So that was the seed of the idea. I love the seek first to understand and it sounds like that was inherent in you. Is there something in your past that kind of led you to kind of be that way and to always seek understanding or a mentor maybe that's influenced you in that way? Yeah, a couple of things. One is growing up in Los Angeles. I went to school with kids from all over the world. So I had classmates from Japan, Senegal, Iran, and just being kind of marinated in that. And and it's funny because I didn't always get along with these kids. I was kind of an outcast. You know, I got bullied a lot in school, but just being around that and seeing the different perspectives, lots of different socioeconomic status. And I played with kids from just all of these backgrounds. And I think that kind of developed this fascination for me. My dad also did a lot of business travel and he would bring back pictures of Thailand and Hong Kong and these interesting places that he went. But speaking of my dad, he and I, you know, from almost the beginning, when I really started to know what politics was, we were able to have civil conversations about it, even though we disagreed on a number of areas. Mm. And so I think being able to have that so early on and have that be modeled in my dad and my conversations, because my mom and I are more aligned politically. So we had great conversations too, but it was much easier. Having that so early on, I think just marinated that into me again. So I feel very fortunate to have had both of those experiences. Well, we're very much all a product of our upbringings and the experiences. And we look at life through different lenses. And I think there's something beautiful about being amid a diverse environment and allowing that to kind of shape your view and and also that seeking to understand and really the polarization of politics in particular, as you mentioned, has torn families apart and that civility is sometimes lost, which kind of led me into my next question, which is how has the rise of polarization impacted your current story and reframed your vision for how you carry out your purpose through your work? Yeah, so this really started a few years ago, but it's kind of reaching a pinnacle now, obviously. And I think personality-wise, I've always been a person who valued empathy, even sometimes maybe when it wasn't, quote, deserved by myself or, or anyone else. But the pivotal moment for me really came in 2017 when the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally happened. So for the listeners who may be from other parts of the world, this was a rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, in which neo-Nazis came. And they were marching in the streets and chanting things like, Jews will not replace us. And, And there was a lot of acts of violence that day, including a murder. So it was a really horrifying situation. And particularly for Jewish people, and I am Jewish, So it was one of those kind of forks in the road because I'm watching these people marching in the streets and I'm looking at their faces. And then I'm also watching the sort of late night TV hosts responding to this rally, calling these people evil, calling them demons, calling them all kinds of other names. And I felt like there was this fork in the road where I had to sort of decide as a Jew how I was going to react and respond to this. And I felt like those responses I was seeing on TV were not right for me, but I also couldn't just say, oh yeah, well, you know, let's sort of understand where they're coming from. And in addition, in that same year, 2017, I found out that my grandmother's, the cemetery in which she'd been buried for many, many years, of course, was desecrated and vandalized. So it was like all of these things were sort of converging. But strangely, when I was watching these people on TV marching and I was looking at their pictures, 
I had a very bizarre reaction. I actually felt this kind of wave of empathy for them. Mm. And right after I felt that, I felt guilty and horrible. And I thought, how can I possibly feel this way? This is like a slap in the face to any Jew and really any minority or anyone who has suffered victimization, you know, that I actually feel empathy. And I looked in these people's eyes, you know, and I thought, how did they get here? Mm. How on earth did they arrive here? So I wrestled with this for weeks. I mean, really months, but I wrote an article about it for a magazine. And, you know, I just really had to go through this process of kind of wrestling with it. But in the end, the conclusion that I came to was that I wrote a phrase that kind of summarized how I wanted to respond. And that was compassionate courage. Mm. And I realized that I could condemn the actions of these people and I could call for their arrest. And I could say that I wanted to see them tried and punished in the court of law. And I could say very clearly without hesitation that what they did was wrong and heinous and Mm. it should not be allowed to continue. And I did not have to condemn them as human beings. Mm. And that was the moment for me that I realized there was a third option (laughs) besides demonizing them or letting them off the hook. And so that's kind of where it started and it's kind of evolved from there, but that's the, the premise of it. So I, I really believe strongly in the the force of reconciliatory justice, it not being necessarily the hate that enters into our hearts, you know, when we see people that think something so extreme as that, you know, or that maybe have a different political belief system or that approach their lives or leadership differently than we do. And a lot of the times I think it's everyone's first instinct today to attack and to demonize and to dehumanize. And that's unhealthy and there needs to be some way that we can have empathy and understanding maybe for the emotion or the thought, maybe not necessarily what it's going towards, but, you know, actually being able to understand that, you know, we're just as prone to those kind of emotions in other ways and that we need to be able to find that forgiveness in our hearts to hopefully see that justice play out and for them to see the world in a much more peaceful, united way. And so I think that's a, it's a wonderful story to illustrate that. And that emotion is in that thought process is really tough for most people. Yeah, it is tough. And especially, I think I have to really qualify and clarify that that was a moment for me, but I don't necessarily put out there that that has to be sort of how everyone views things. Because what I usually tell clients is there's three P's that we have to always consider when we're deciding how to communicate across differences. And that's privilege, power, and personal cost. Hmm. Because I will say that the personal cost to me was pretty high of coming to that view, but it was helpful. But I'm also in a position of privilege as you know, a white person, for example, in the US. And so I think we have to recognize the nuance in that and not necessarily, for me, I don't necessarily advocate a certain type of belief system. But what I think I've done, and which has really been purposeful for me lately, is to translate that extreme example of what happened in Charlottesville and my process into some more practical ways that people can communicate with those they care about. So not necessarily the super extreme cases, but maybe a family member or a colleague or a client or a friend with which they have polarized views because you are right. So many relationships are being torn apart. Mm -hmm. And from that instinct that we all have to, to go on the attack when we feel threatened or triggered. This episode is brought to you by Inspire EDU. 
a nonprofit organization putting technology devices into the hands of Atlanta's underserved communities. The need for technology devices has accelerated due to the pandemic, and Inspire EDU makes a positive difference helping marginalized learners. Through its partners and supporters like you, Inspire EDU helps learners become 21st century scholars. Learn how you can support their mission at iuatl.org. So what yeah. are some ways that you've learned to communicate? So if, if there's someone out there that's struggling with a loved one in their family or in the office environment or in their circle of friends that see things differently, politically, culturally, socially, what is kind of your process for where to start and how to enter into that conversation in a more graceful way? The way I like to approach it when I teach this workshop or when I give this keynote is to give people options and not answers, because there really are no answers to that. It's more, what are the different choices you have in that moment? So I like to provide a number of tools and some of them may not work in, in every scenario. And for you, some of them may not work at all, because again, the three Ps, right? Depending on who's got the privilege in the situation, who has the power and what kind of personal cost you might pay. Mm. But I like to give a lot of options. So an example would be to start with a mindset of being able to see the nuance in people, the gray areas, the shades of gray. Because for example, I have a colleague who uh, voted, I would say somewhat hesitantly for President Trump in both elections, and also holds these regular dialogues promoting women in his industry. And he demonstrates some of the most inclusive behaviors that I have ever seen. So it does seem like there's, you know, perhaps one could perceive a dichotomy there, depending on how you perceive the former president. But it's those shades of gray, it's that nuance in people. I have another friend who voted for President Biden, but who is passionate about gun rights. So it's the shades of gray that we often miss. And so when we're willing to kind of outside of a triggering situation, focus on that mindset of being willing to see the nuance in people. I find that that's really helpful. The other thing that we have to enter into these conversations with is a very heightened awareness of our own triggers. Because the way humans respond to triggers is pretty predictable. And triggering is really a shared proposition at times. Uh, you know, one person gets triggered by something that somebody says, they attack, the person who did the triggering feels shamed. And so they respond in a symmetrical way, like, well, if you're going to shout at me, I'm going to shout at you. And when people feel shamed, it's hard to, to stop those negative processes. So if we notice it and kind of label it, we can maybe short circuit. So it's almost based on the mindfulness technique of just sort of noticing something, being aware of something in the moment and labeling it. So I, we might even say triggering, I'm triggering right now. And that gives us maybe the three to four seconds that we need to slow down the process and let the higher part of the brain go online instead of that amygdala that's really reactive. <laughs> Another technique I like to use is something called the reverse I love you but. So when we're talking with family members, a lot of times we have this sense of wanting to share our views about the, the differences and our political underpinnings. And so we might say, well, I love you, but you have this view of whatever policy or leader. And really that's kind of negating the previous part of the statement. So I suggest to people that you flip it around. And while it may seem small, I've used this technique a number of times and it really does disarm the person because you're saying a way I've used it is I'll say, you know, I don't respect X leader, but I do respect you. 
So, you know, I'm listening. And when people feel respected and heard, they simply respond in such a different way. And again, that does not mean you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean you have to let them off the hook for views that may be harmful. You can still speak to that, but you are putting the love and the respect first, but really last. You're saying, you know, I don't believe this, but I love you. I, this, this is a harmful view in my perception, but I care about you. And that shifts the dynamic. So those are just a few examples. That's incredibly powerful. And those neural pathways are strong. Those triggers that you mentioned, it is so easy to allow those to dominate your thought process. But when you can first recognize those thoughts and get ahead of them, I think that's a powerful thing is to be self-aware in that sense. And, and so thank you for sharing those, those processes. I think that's something that everyone can apply today. As it pertains to leaders, it's kind of a last point here, Vicki in their organizations as they manage their teams themselves and the communities they serve wisely. What call to action or advice would you have for them for leading others in today's polarized, complicated world? I think the number one thing that leaders need to do is model the behaviors themselves because people, whether they're conscious of it or not, they do follow leaders. They follow their words. They follow their actions and behaviors. So leaders need to make sure that their behaviors are aligned with what they're saying and model those. So an example might be that if you have an associate, an employee who reports to you, who starts to get triggered and express a difficult view or even a harmful view, as the leader, if you can notice your own trigger and then maybe model, for example, a method like just clarifying what you heard first before just leaping to the defense, finding a point of agreement with that person before you give your perspective, letting them know that you're going to pivot to that perspective. So making them feel heard first and then say, you know, I'd like to share my thoughts on this with you. So kind of giving them that little heads up that you're about to pivot and then sharing your perspective as opposed to this is the truth. This is the way it is. And so if leaders can model some of that I think that makes all the difference in the world and just modeling inclusive behaviors because we can do this work without shaming ourselves and others. And people often confuse empathy and not condemning people for accepting their actions and letting them off the hook. But it's an and. And I think that's what the leaders need to model is that and. We can condemn ideologies or we can call a behavior at, at work and say that, you know, this is not a behavior that we can have on this team. But that's not condemning that person. So we can short circuit that part of our brain that kind of wants to demonize people and we can still hold them accountable. We're all about bringing on servant leaders that use their influence and their talents as a force for good. Vicki, I can't think of anyone better than who I am looking at and speaking with today. So thank you so much for sharing those thoughtful words of wisdom. If people wanted to learn more about your leadership, follow you, go to your website, where would you direct them? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a wonderful conversation with you. My website is highroaders.com. So like taking the high road, but plural.com. That's one of the best ways to learn more about what we do. LinkedIn. Absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn, Vicki Flyer Hudson. And I look forward to connecting with people by email, Vicki at highroaders.com. That's V-I-C-K-I at highroaders.com. And just happy to engage in these conversations. 
Well, Vecchi, it was such a gift to have you on the show. And uh, we will certainly be posting all of those resources on our show notes on chatwithleaders.com. And again, we are just so grateful for the person you are and for your positive servant leadership example. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. It's been my privilege. Hey, this is Jeff Bond. And thank you so much for investing your time with us today. We'd be thrilled for you to subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please also visit our LinkedIn page to join our leadership community by clicking follow. We're grateful for your engagement and for sharing the inspiration coming from our guests so we can add value to aspiring leaders in your network. Have a remarkable week and go be a leader worth following.